athlete, a recreational runner, or you just love working out from home in your pyjamas, join me and guests for a no-faff, fearless and friendly chat about everything from workout apps to sustainable workout wardrobes. And welcome to episode 31. Today I'm joined by Charlotte J. Johnson, also known as the Fashion Founder. Charlotte is a sustainable fashion business consultant and she provides consultancy for founders looking to start or scale their fashion brand, working with clients all over the globe. She also is the host of the Fashion Founder podcast and dog mum to Nala. Welcome, Charlotte. <laughs> Hello. Thank you, Bryna. Thank you for having me on. You are most welcome. Now, I think a good place to start for today is yesterday I put up a question box on my stories <laughs> and it was asking <laughs> the reasons why you exercise and secondly what challenges you have at the moment for moving your body and your answers to these definitely made me laugh out loud so would you like to share that with the audience yeah so my reasonings for working out are kind of the obvious it's the physical and mental well-being that comes with working out and looking after yourself and and just that space that you get to to yourself to, to do something that's outside of let's say a work environment or any other responsibilities that comes with life I guess and then the other one was to be able to lift heavy things without having to ask a man to do it for me. <laughs> well, independent women I like it. Yes absolutely. <laughs> and then some of the challenges that you were facing? Yes, so I guess this is probably very similar for anyone else. It, it's just a very strong feeling of feeling like you can't be bothered. Mm. <laughs> Which I think is, it's one of those, isn't it? You, you're not always going to be motivated and I think this is very much what you discussed on a post recently is that we don't always feel motivated and invested and excited to work out and it's sometimes a matter of giving yourself a bit of tough love and saying you're going to feel really good after doing this so so go and get it done type thing <laughs> yeah definitely because i feel like we can have those values and reasons that we want to work out like you just said you're you've got your own reasons and values but that doesn't mean that every day you're going to wake up and jump out of bed or after a day's work you're going to really look forward to going into the gym and doing a workout like our feelings they fluctuate don't they and they flow and sometimes depending on how we're feeling depending on how much energy we've got that day we just might not have a really positive motivating fun uh, you know feeling towards that workout we might feel a bit sad and a bit tired and a bit like we just can't be bothered like we've got a lot going on in our head so I think as you say it's it's understanding isn't it the intention behind why we want to move out why we're doing it and also understanding and being compassionate with ourselves that we are going to sometimes not have those positive motivating feelings but that as you say we just have to go and get it done and even if it's just a case of I'm going to put my trainers on or I'm going to walk into the gym and I'm just going to do a little bit of stretching for five minutes and I'm going to see how I feel and then probably after that you'll end up staying a bit longer and feeling good. Yeah absolutely I totally agree with that one I think if it really is one of those oh I would rather just sit on the couch and watch a bit of Netflix or 
you know, go and have a bath, when pop your trainers on, head out for a walk or wherever it is, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, exercise is different for everybody, but go and, and take a minute to do something that's introducing you into that and easing you into that. You might find that after 10 minutes, you're like, yeah, feeling pretty good now. Like you've got some good music on, you've got your heart rate up and, and then you get it done. And it doesn't have to be, you know, working out super hard and a real sweaty session it, it could just be you know getting the blood pumping and, and doing some movement because guarantee you'll feel so much better after doing it and you'll probably sleep better as well yeah, <laughs> definitely now you mentioned there that you wanted to be able to lift heavy things that you didn't have to rely on a man or anybody else lifting things for you which is quite interesting given in your past the sport that you trained for and must have been very disciplined in order to compete in so would you like to just talk about that sport and how you got into it yeah so around 2015 I would say was when I started my journey to stage as a lot of people call it um, I was working out in the gym I used to go maybe six times a week. So I was, was pretty invested in it, really enjoyed it, and got very interested in that kind of bodybuildery type lifestyle. I would spend a lot of time researching nutrition and understanding hypertrophy, which is building muscle. And just, yeah, I sort of lived and breathed it at that point. And it got to a point where I was like, am I just doing this for me? Am I doing it for the way I look? Kind of need something to, to sort of keep me invested in it, you know, I need like an end goal. So at that time, I, I noticed a lot of girls at the gym where I trained at in my hometown were working towards something and, and they always looked a very specific way. And I would see them on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and they were saying how that they were however many weeks out from X composition competition. And I just really liked the look of it. So I remember actually sending a message to one of the girls I'd seen in the gym and I said, you know, what is it that you're doing? It's really interesting. And she told me a little bit about it and the coach that she was working with and, you know, all it took was a quick message to that coach and I was up and running and I was prepping for my first competition, which was pretty insane considering I just went from being a, a sort of young girl who like enjoyed the gym to, to prepping for a bikini competition. And yes, yeah, so I did around three seasons, which was four competitions, uh, placed in a couple of them, which was a really good feeling considering I didn't go into it expecting to win any medals or any trophies or anything. Um, I got top 12 in Britain in my category, which was classed as junior bikini. So it was girls in sort of their early 20s would compete in that category. And yeah it became my whole life it really consumed me and it's uh, very interesting to look back at now because i am so different and so far from that you said at the beginning there that when you were in the gym you got interested in the nutrition and the hypertrophy that's quite in my opinion quite unusual for somebody to maybe read a bit more about those aspects was that something that you'd previously seen somewhere or like prior to going into the gym had you had like an interest in sport and exercise I've always 
had an interest in working out and, and exercising. I was a runner when I was younger. I have a very runner's type physique and I could just run for miles. It wasn't to me about how fast I could do it. I could just go for a, for a very long time. And so I always did have an interest in going to the gym. I, I would go to the gym and just run on the treadmill for an hour, an hour and a half. Rather than doing the weight side of things, I was just interested in endurance. And that did slowly evolve over time to me, seeing the weights and how great women could look when they lifted weights. And that's sort of what introduced me into that side of, of training. Um, and the nutrition side of things really interested me. I actually probably found that more interesting than the endurance and the weight training and the, the hypertrophy side of things. I really enjoyed learning about food, macronutrients, micronutrients. It was just really, I actually almost completely halted my degree and pulled out of doing fashion to, to restart and, and go and do something in nutrition because I was just so interested in it. And I felt like I wanted to do that more than, more than the fashion side of things, which is, yeah, it's really interesting looking back. And how was your mental health and your relationship with exercise at that moment? Because you said that you wanted an external goal, like you felt like in order to sort of keep going to the gym, you wanted something to focus on. Is that because you felt just a bit more externally motivated or you, like what was it about that goal that you felt that you needed and, and did you notice like a shift in your mental health and your relationship during that period? I think there was extrinsic and intrinsic motivators with competing. There was definitely an element of like, I want to do this for me and I want to prove to myself that I can do something that not a lot of people are doing. You know, it was very, when I told people, oh, I'm, I'm training to, to compete in, in bodybuilding, it was people's jaws would literally drop. Like, really? That's like Arnie? And I was like, yeah, like Arnie, but not quite the same class. Um, so it was, it was a lot of an internal thing for me. And then there was obviously the external factors as well. You know, you look good, you're getting a lot of compliments. It was that sort of approval that came with it. And I, and I won't deny that, you know, it, it felt good to hear people say, oh, you look fantastic and you've got abs and you're so tiny, you know, as, as a woman growing up with diet culture, hearing that you, you're so small, you're so tiny and you're not taking up very much space is was always a really rewarding thing to hear, rightly or wrongly. Um, so yeah, there was a, a mixture of different reasons why I was motivated to do it. And I think for me, sort of going into the deeper depths of it, it definitely masked a lot of earlier problems I'd had with sort of my relationship with my body, body dysmorphia, relationship with food as well. It could It could really act as sort of a mask for under-eating, over-exercising, but it was seen and deemed as okay because you were working towards a longer-term goal or you were an athlete, it's it's okay. So she's allowed to under-eat and, and all of that kind of stuff that came with it. So yeah, there was a, a lot of different factors to, to why I was so motivated to, to do it. Yeah, and back in, what, 2015, I mean, the research in, in women's sport and exercise science and health and female athlete health is far behind where it needs to be and it is improving and there's incredible 
PhD researchers and academics out there and organisations that are really working now and you know athletes are speaking out about things like you know menstruation and um, menopause and you know pelvic floor exercises and more around pregnancy and women's specific health which is brilliant but there certainly is and definitely was a, a lack of understanding and knowledge there wasn't there for women and as you say very much as a runner I can't you know I was a runner still am a runner the goal and the focus around body shapes for women was definitely the thinner the better the lighter the body mass mm -hmm. well for me I, you know I wasn't a sprinter so you know, it wasn't about power and speed I was an endurance athlete so it was very yeah. much you know body mass matters because the lighter you are the more efficient you're going to be, the lower your VO2 max, um, you know, the better your performance is going to be. And of course, you then start to compare yourself to girls because, you know, running in the north in a little crop top and knicker shorts <laughs> when it was like minus one degree or across country. Or I remember being at, um, you know, on the track at Manchester even and rounding Gateshead and Liverpool. And it's very obvious you cannot hide what you look like mm. on the track and even if subconsciously you are looking at other girls and if they're faster than you and then if you start to follow their behaviours and patterns and then you notice your performance improves it's very very easy to get and go down that road and that slippery slope isn't it to then trying to restrict and engage in disordered behaviours to make yourself smaller. Definitely, definitely. I think once you notice those changes as well as someone who might already have certain feelings towards how you should look and, and how small or large you should be, I think once you've started noticing those changes, it's very, very hard to, to sort of see the bigger picture and think, right, is this healthy? Should I really be you know, doing this? And especially when you're running, as you say, you're burning so many calories that you need to be eating enough to fuel and, and to and repair and then fuel the next session when actually under eating is the worst possible thing you could be doing when you're putting in so many miles. Yeah, definitely. And the same with if you're trying to build lean muscle mass, as you will know, you need to be in you know, a positive energy balance with high amounts of protein in order for you to actually increase that lean muscle. And I feel like the there still is a lack of education and awareness, isn't there? So many myths and you know fads and, and faffy stuff online and supplements and diets and you know we could spend hours talking about the problems within exercise and fitness in terms of, of nutrition and, and female athlete health and education. And another thing is that you know when I was that age competing, you know, taking an oral contraceptive that just masks any you know changes that might have been picked up, you know, had I like, you know, lost menstruation, a lot of them are male coaches, so, you know, do you really want to speak about those things uh, with a coach and you know, who else are you going to get that advice and, and mentorship from? Did you find that when you reached out to the coach, was there anything around that kind of education and awareness with what you would be putting your body through, getting ready on, you know to go to stage and into the competitions it was funny actually because my first coach was a female so you know she, you would expect that she could have some compassion and, and to understand the problems that as women going through 
that sort of process would experience and certain levels of leanness, as you say, you know, you tend to lose your period, very low mood, you know, your hair's very brittle, you're putting your body under a lot of strain. And I would say more so than men because of the hormones that we need to regulate and having such low fat intake as well can be really, really damaging to your hormone levels. So yeah, there was a lot of stress on my body and the coaches didn't really care if you were feeling a certain way because of low calories and because of over-exercising. And it was just a matter of if you want to be in the 1%, if you want to be the top mm. of the sport, these are the lengths that you've got to go. And I think for me, it was slowly realizing that I didn't want to go to these lengths. I didn't want to put my body under this kind of strain at such a young age as well. And that was when it was sort of a, this isn't, this isn't working for me anymore. I'm, I'm not, I'm not happy with, with what this life is bringing me. And so I've worked with a few different coaches, both male and female, and they're, with it being such an un, un, unregulated industry, as you say, men weren't really trained to deal with female hormones and the issues that they might go through and the loss of menstrual cycles. And with the sport being, as I said, unregulated, there was a lot of women were taking certain hormones and, and performance enhancement drugs to look a certain way because it was very much a, if it wasn't told that someone was natural, then you would assume that they were taking all sorts of substances, which come with a whole host of other risks as well. So yeah, it's, it's a very dangerous sport in that sense. And in the week leading up to your show, you do what's called a peak week, which is where you are sort of preparing your body to look a certain way on stage. You've put in probably 16 to 20 weeks worth of, you know, low calories and, and overtraining and high cardio. So now your final week is really polishing up that, that overall package that you're gonna to bring to stage. And it would often involve uh, cutting sodium. So removing sodium from all of your foods, eating, really bland things like chicken and rice and nothing else not you weren't allowed to salt your food and then water loading as well so drinking up to six seven eight liters of water a day to just really bring that super super tight lean look and that comes with even more risks my partner actually competed a similar round similar time to me and he ended up in hospital from from manipulating his sodium and his water because it is so so dangerous so yeah, it's it's a pretty intense sport with not a lot of reward. Yeah, and hyponatremia, which is basically a lot of amount of water and really low amounts of sodium, is actually what a yeah. lot of the NFL collegiate footballers unfortunately die of or end up in comas over in the States because of the heat and they're taking on loads and loads of water and no electrolytes. And it basically just washes out your sodium level and then there's nowhere for the water to go because it's just yeah. you know there's not enough salt there for the osmosis and it just ends up in your brain and you know you can end up in yeah as you say in real difficulties in hospital and it can be extremely life-threatening can't it at that point which is scary that it is so unregulated and you know there's not more guidance and rules and regulations for people getting into it because I'm sure when you entered 
you know, into it when you reached out on you know, social media, however you spoke to that woman in the first place in the gym, that you wouldn't have expected those kind of risks and with such little reward. I'm sure you thought you were doing something, like you say, to be positive, to meet a goal, to keep you fit, to keep you healthy. Um, yeah. And then you mentioned there a little bit about the scheduling. So you did three seasons. The week before was a peak week and it was 16 to 20 weeks usually. So what would it sort of look like a season for you? Like how often would you train? What types of training were you doing? Yeah, so they call it off season when you're in a, a stage of muscle growth. And I'll be honest, I didn't even have a, a lot of muscle to begin with. So for me, it was just sort of coasting through those off season periods and, and just trying to lift as much as I could at that time to get as strong as I could and then leading into those prep phases as, as we called them the, the prepping for a show you'd probably start at around 20 to 16 weeks out I think it was would depend on your experience depend on your lean lean levels like how much fat you had to lose would determine how early you started prepping for a show and sort of around the, the 16 week mark you would start to have your calories drop slowly you would you know your energy would start to decrease and you would probably be increasing your cardio sessions as well and slowly but surely your calories would come further down your cardio would increase and your your sessions would sort of become more regular um, so I'd say I'd probably train around six times a week. I would do six weight sessions a week around a, a prep. And then towards the latter stages of, of prep, so let's say two weeks out of a show, my not my last show, but the show before my last, I remember being on 90 minutes of cardio a day on top of the weight training sessions and around 900 calories, which is not enough to feed a small child <laughs> and you're expected to you know oh I was exhausted all the time I wasn't a very nice person to be around because I was you know such a low mood very snappy yeah just not a not a very pleasant person and you know you would tell yourself it's it's cool because it'll be worth it by next week when I'm in my glitzy bikini and my makeup's all done and you know that that's what made it worth it to, to some and at some points I definitely thought you know this is the epitome of it and it's great and it's so worth that that suffering for 16 20 weeks but looking back it wasn't and I and I definitely lost out on a lot of experiences and and just living because I was too caught up in this in this life so yeah it was it was a long haul like you weren't in it just for you know six weeks or, or whatever it was sort of a year-round thing and you you would live and breathe the whole lifestyle and during this point, you were at university, so you were studying full-time as well? Yeah, yeah. So I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I was studying a creative degree, which anyone who's done a, a fashion creative degree will know that, you know, the hours are long. You expect to spend a lot of time in, in the studio. Don't get a lot of contact time per se, but you were just expected to be in doing doing what you, you needed to do to reach the next submission or the next... Um, exam or whatever it was so yeah I was I was doing my degree but and then I was working part-time as well so I put I put a lot you know I spread myself a mile wide and an inch deep 
but then I, part of me sort of thrived on that, knowing that I was under so much pressure and I'd go to sleep at night absolutely exhausted. Part of that was part of the enjoyment for me, strangely. <laughs> and did you use any of your creative skills with the bikinis and while you were on stage with the outfits? Did that kind of come out? It was something I told myself I was going to do, you know, I was going to save myself money, I was going to do my own bikini, because a stage bikini can cost you anywhere from £300 upwards, uh, yeah, and then you've got the heels, you've got the jewellery, you are judged not just on your physique, but your whole package, so the colour of your bikini, how well the bikini fits you, how shiny your hair is, how good your makeup is, how well covered your tan is. It was, it was more like a pageant for bodybuilders. It was, it, even saying this now feels absolutely wild to me that we were judged on that. But yeah, so you brought this whole package in, in everything that you'd done and everything that you brought to stage. So for me saying, oh, I'll just make my own bikini, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. It, it didn't seem like the right course of action to take to be able to get the best results so I did end up buying a bikini I did buy it second hand because obviously I was a student you know funds were not um you know there, was, there wasn't a lot to work with so yeah I bought my first bikini and it was a second hand and I think I paid around 360 pound for it <laughs> and that saw me throughout my time competing I never changed because I just couldn't afford to <laughs> maybe that's where the sustainable fashion founder was originally born from. Why are they so expensive? I I don't know if it's the man hours that goes in them because they require a lot of like gemstones so that that's a lot of hand handwork but it was also I think it was the demand so you know gymnastics, leotards, things like that are always really quite pricey. I think it's because it's such a specialist I don't want to say equipment, but it's a specialist thing that people require to do the sport. So I think that was sort of an inflated price point, but also the, the man hours that goes into creating them as well. And did you have like a team, like an entourage with you to do your um, makeup and your hair and everything? Or did you just do it all yourself? Yeah, so I did mine all myself each time I would spend the week prior practicing doing the makeup because you are under obviously stage lights which anyone knows who if you do like theatre or anything like that the stage lights really wash you out so the key was to, to try and be as dark as possible in your makeup to match the tan that you would then obviously get get done to to make yourself look even leaner and even more defined so I would do my own hair and my own makeup and obviously the tan team are there who are tanning you sometimes the night before, sometimes the morning of. Before you go on stage, they're giving you like a glaze all over, which is a really strange experience. And then you're pumping up backstage as well to like get yourself looking good and ready for stage. So it's a very, very strange experience. I think if you can go to a bodybuilding show, because it's a very, very strange thing to experience. Um, but yeah, it, it required a lot of, it was a whole day, you know, you, there's a lot of waiting around, a lot of eating to try and keep you looking, you, you know, you didn't want to look flat as they would call it, which is when your muscles are not quite as pumped as you'd want them to be on stage. And then sort of waiting to be called up and, and yeah, it was a whole day in itself. 
And the other competitors there, was it friendly? Were you having like a bit of a chat? Or was it really like catty, like, you know, looking at each other? Like, how was the atmosphere? It's a really good community, I will admit that. And it was quite sad for me when I did decide to stop competing because I felt like I'd lost all my friends through that because I didn't really align with their values anymore. I didn't have anything in common. So there was a whole host of people who I kind of stopped seeing. So there's a really, really good community behind it and everyone's very supportive. Even if you're in the same class and you're competing against one another, you're still sort of very supportive and you know, people were taking pictures and tell it you know complimenting one another it was it was a really nice experience in terms of the people around you and the support that you got whilst you were you were doing that it definitely made it more of a pleasant experience because it's not easy no i imagine it must be as you said there all the different emotions and low mood so to have a supportive community and a group of friends that you can talk to each other about things and you know that someone's going to be there giving you a bit of confidence and a bit of a boost then yeah it's obviously really nice to know isn't it you said earlier that it got to a point where it just really wasn't working for you you weren't enjoying it you started to not really see the benefit what was there like a particular moment or was it just kind of gradual small little things that built up and then you found yourself thinking this isn't really for me anymore I think it was it was strange. My last show was probably the turning point. I remember being stood on stage and just sort of, I know a lot of people use the term these days of getting the ick. And I think I just got the ick and I was just thinking I'd, I'm not enjoying this. I don't feel happy. My relationships are suffering. I didn't get to see friends very often. I didn't want my studies to suffer of an impact of something that was just a short-term thing in my life. You know, I didn't see myself doing this for forever. So I, I didn't want the impact to continue on what it was doing on the other factors of my life. And for me, it was the relationship with myself and my relationship with food. As I said, it sort of masked a lot of problems and coming out the back of a show, you have been restricting for so long that you get to this point where you're now allowed to eat whatever you want, that you sort of become so numb to, to good nutrition and, and how your hunger, hunger cues and, and knowing whether you're hungry or not. It's definitely something I still struggle with now is understanding and being able to listen to my own hunger cues. Like, am I actually hungry? Am I, you know, it's definitely something that I struggle with is because I ignored those cues for so long that now I, I, I definitely, it's something that it takes time to get that mindfulness back and, and get in tune with those hunger signals. So yeah, it was definitely a, a bunch of different things that was the turning point for me. And, and I think the majority was just the impact it had had on my life and, and my well-being, 100%, because it definitely takes its toll. And did your friends outside of bodybuilding and your family, at any point did they say to you, we've noticed a change, why are you doing this? Like, Can you stop doing it? Or did they either just not say anything or were they positive and supportive? It was definitely challenging to have to justify if we were at a family barbecue, for example, and I couldn't eat 
something because it had been cooked in oil or I couldn't track the macronutrient content. I didn't drink an awful lot because, you know, drinking is, as, as people say, it's empty calories. You're not gaining anything from, from the calories that come from alcohol. And my life just wasn't very exciting because I couldn't eat the things I enjoyed. I couldn't go out and, and live like a 20 year old and, and party with my friends. So yeah, there was definitely a lot of concern from family, you know, are you, are you enjoying it? And, and do you have to do that? Can you not just have a little bit, just have one glass of wine or just eat a little bit of that? And they didn't understand why I couldn't. So it was a lot of justifying myself, which definitely got frustrating. I didn't enjoy having to explain why I can't do this or I can't do that. It sort of made it even harder for me because I, I wanted to say yes and not being able to say yes and then have to explain I can't do that was definitely a, a, a bigger challenge in itself. Um, so yeah, people around me definitely were, were worried and concerned and it gives you an excuse to be able to take your calories really low and get very lean. You know, my face was very skinny and and I was very, very lean in my physique. I was very, I was under a hundred pounds at one point, which is tiny. And it was, you know, people would say, you're so, so small. I, are you, are you happy? You know, are you comfortable? I was cold all the time as well, which is a by factor of being very, very, very small. So yeah, people would look, people would act concerned, but for me, I would just put my blinkers on and say, it's all for, it's all for a good cause. You know, I'll, it'll be worth it in the end. And sometimes it seemed like it was and other times it was right. Okay. Do I really want to continue doing this? And I think that's when it sort of became the majority of the conversation I was having with myself that no, this isn't what I want to do anymore. And that's when I stuck a pin in it. And I wouldn't say that I regret doing it. It came with a lot of benefits. It made me, I learned a lot about myself made me more resilient in some ways it's a cool story to tell people when i meet people and and we have that conversation and they're like wow that's really cool that's really interesting so there's definitely some benefits of having done it but if anyone were to ask me or oh, i'm thinking of competing would you recommend it i would say no don't do it don't don't risk anything for the sake of a, a glass or a trophy <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. What about your relationship with exercise then when you stopped? Did you go like cold turkey and not do anything or were you still working out in the gym? How did you find that transition? Definitely went cold turkey for a good few months. It was almost like a rebellion against what I'd had to do for so long. And I, I say had to with a pinch of salt because nobody told me I had to do anything it was all a choice and that's what you've got to remind yourself when you make such a decision like that like this is a choice nobody's asking me to do this I can give up any point but it was definitely a rebellion against the decisions I'd made that you know I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna go and step foot in a gym and I think I took a good few months off before I reminded myself that well actually I do feel good when I work out and I do like the way it makes me look or the way it makes me feel and having that space for 45 minutes to an hour a day to just do something for me was definitely something I knew I needed but I haven't been able to get consistent with it since competing 
I think I'd probably say I'm consistently inconsistent with my training and exercise these days. And it's definitely a, a, at fault of, of what I did whilst I was competing. That's really interesting. So do you think it's because it was so structured and rigid that you just don't want to go back there? Or you've just... Yeah, what, what reason do you think it is that you... Yeah, I think there's a a bit of compassion, maybe too much self-compassion there, that, oh, if you're tired, it's okay. You, don't, you, just, you know, the same narrative that everybody has when they they know they would benefit from working out, that, oh, I'm, I'm a little bit sore today, maybe I, maybe I should just take the afternoon off, or maybe I should just take the day off. And it's definitely having that word with myself, saying, you're going to feel really good if you do this, and what you value in life means this is something that, has got to become part of your regular routine and it's got to be sustainable as well because if it's not and it's not if it's not an easy habit then you you just won't do it so it's I guess it's about making it a sustainable routine um but yeah there's definitely an, an element of because I was so strict and so rigid and you had to be doing this and you had to do it regardless of whether you were tired or unwell mm. or you had an event that you wanted to go to, a family event or a party or something, you would have to train regardless. It was an, a non-negotiable. So I think it's still pay, taking its toll on me now that I'm like, I've done that, I've been there, now I'm going to you know, allow myself to, to do what I want and train when I want. And if I don't want to, then I won't. Um, but yeah, there's definitely moments when it's not listening to that voice and saying, go on, go for a run or, or go and get that session in because you'll feel fantastic for doing it. You've got to reframe those thoughts though, haven't you? Like what you said with your food, like because you for so long ignored some of those internal cues and mm. like you said, even when you were feeling exhausted and really low mood and you had all that uni work to do and you were working your family were telling you don't do it or come to this family occasion or come out with us you yeah. probably pushed all of that to the side and were so focused just on eating this or not eating this and and getting the work yeah. in you know doing i can't even imagine trying to do such high intensity work and exercise on such few calories and it must just bring up those thoughts and feelings again like they say that the body keeps a score doesn't it so mm. in order to like it's going to take a long time for you to trust yourself and trust your your body and as you say you, you must have that voice and thoughts that are still there from you know a few years back yeah it's definitely triggering I think when you when I find myself falling into a pattern of of enjoying it it's almost like a self-sabotaging thing you know like you remember what happened last time we did this you know it wasn't it wasn't good for us and I think it is just like you say breaking those cycles and it's not something that happens overnight and I know some girls I competed with some guys I competed with who stopped competing for a year and now they're doing something new and they love it and they're, they're, they're so consistent They've got a completely new mindset, but everybody is so, so different. And if you already had maybe issues with relationship with food or issues with the relationship with your body going into competing, you will have exacerbated those problems tenfold, which is definitely what I did. So coming out of the other end, it was like, right, there's some damage control to be done and to be had here. 
So yeah, I mean, I had a time hop come up today on my phone actually. Today was three, no, four years ago was the last competition I ever did. And to think I'm four years post competing and I am still in a place where I am working on my relationship with exercise and, and consistency with that. I guess it's an ongoing process for anybody, but definitely has its sort of relationships to, to what I was doing. Yeah, and it's so prominent there because you were doing it in the era where it was, I mean, that was like the Fitspo era, wasn't it? And I know yeah. Fitspo is still there, but back then it was very much like everybody was tracking. Everybody had like a health and fitness account, weren't they, where they were posting their regime. And it was very normalised for women to be doing that. And now you've got those reminders. Like, you know, it's great, isn't it, when a, when a time lapse comes up or a, a reminder on your iPhone of like a really fun holiday or a cute picture of the cat or dog <laughs> in your case. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to sit and look at my cats for like a little bit. Like, I love that. But if it's like a, a triggering or traumatic or difficult period of your time, of your life, then to be reminded of that. regularly must be extremely difficult yeah definitely I think I because it was such a big part of my life a lot of my time hops or a lot of my um you know when you go on your Instagram and you can see what you were doing this time last year or this time four years ago whatever a lot of that for me is when I was competing and what I was eating or what I was doing and the way I looked because it's yeah it was such a huge part of my life for however many years that it's a lot of a lot of what I've got to show for my social media I think if you really really scroll down back on my social media on my Instagram page you'll find a lot of that and the evolution between who I am now the person I am now to then it's like it's a completely different person it's yeah it's it's pretty insane and that comparison is, is completely natural, isn't it? We're bound to do it and to say to ourselves, oh, don't compare yourself to back then. Like, I look at pictures of when I was, you know, com- competing for running and I was training really regularly. And, of course, I look different. And, you know, it was, yeah. in some cases, 10, 10 years ago. Like, of course, my body has changed. And, but there is that little voice that, that you know, speaks up and and say something a little bit negative or triggering to you and I, I don't think it's a case of trying to ignore them or, or push them down or you know try and get rid of them because it's just not realistic is it we compare by nature as humans and we know that what you know from research what happens to people even from a really young age with exercise like our first exposures to exercise whether it is in physical education or you know, mm. a school team or a club or something we do as a young child can then have a huge impact on how we view and our relationship with exercise and movement. And these are things that we just don't get taught about in school, at universities, like at any point in our life are we educated, are we made aware of things like nutrition, health, wellness, movement and our relationship with these. And, and exercise is like, any relationship isn't it like a relationship with a friend with a partner like it's going to change it requires work it's sometimes not going to be particularly positive it, you know at times maybe there'll be a bit of distance between you know you and the exercise and the relationship and you're not on the same page and at other times things are going really well and they are 
really smooth and, and clicking nicely. But I think sometimes people think of exercise and movement as this just thing that they can just pick up when they want and then you know get rid of it and not think about it. But it's intrinsically linked to who we are as people. Yeah, I've never ever thought of looking at it like that. But that is such a good way of putting it. I think it's it's a, a linear thing. It's an ongoing process that you're always working on and, and even if you do have an end goal or an end result it's something that you know you're in this for the long haul you know your, your body is always going to need movement and whatever it is that you you do for exercise because there's so many things that you could be doing where you make it into a hobby or it is something that you actively go to to look and feel a certain way it's a whole it's a whole process and a whole relationship that's, that's constantly ongoing. And that's a really, really great way of put, putting it. And I think it's definitely sort of, as you say, stemmed from early experiences with exercise, whether that is a, a sports club or PE at school and, you know, diet culture, as well as we were saying before, the way that the media represents women and, and magazines. And I think certainly like our generation growing up with the way that women's bodies were objectified in as i said in the in magazines and in the media and it's definitely something i think has carried on and, and we're trying to sort of break that cycle and break that narrative which is so amazing to see i love seeing that conversation being had because i don't think it was realized how damaging those types of conversations might have been or I know when I was younger it was just very normalized to be able to comment on how someone looked and actually that's not okay and especially direct to them because how that might make them feel so I think it's really good that that things are changing yeah it is good to see as you said on social media now you are having brands as well as fitness accounts and the in-print magazines that are still going and, and haven't you know gone under because yeah. we're not really looking at print anymore are we but you know even if you look at some of the big women's fitness magazines and their social media accounts or read on apple news or however you get your magazines now you will see won't you some more diversity and representation it's probably not at the stage that we want to see it at and it's it's not um as widespread as it could be however there's definitely as you said definitely been a shift and i've seen a lot more brands getting on board with showing more diverse bodies although recently i think it was one of the popular sports brands that put up a picture of one of their athletes in a larger body and you know obviously she was getting fat shamed and there was a lot of weight stigma and the comments underneath were just still like really really horrific um and did you ever get um asked to do any brand campaigns did people come into contact with you for doing any you know nutrition i guess back then was the sort of ugc content and ambassador and affiliate things did, did you get involved with that yeah so i it, it was, I guess, probably very early days of user-generated content and influencers. I know things have evolved very quickly on that front, but sort of then it wasn't a, a huge thing. I remember influ I remember my experience of influencers sort of started with Gymshark, and I don't know if that's true, but I remember Gymshark being one of the very first brands out there that started sending things to people 
who had a big following and, and I remember seeing the, the influencer space snowball. But I worked with a few brands on like an ambassador affiliate scheme. So I worked with a couple of supplement brands and a couple of clothing brands. And I didn't, rightly or wrongly, looking back, I think it's really, it's important to be um, honest. And at the time I didn't really care about the products. It was just, for me, I was really excited to, for, that a brand wanted to, to put my face on something or to, to, for me to be represented with a brand. And I would, you know, talk about how amazing these products were and they tasted so great. And actually really they weren't so great at all. But it was, you know, part of that process that a brand actually wants to, to, to do something and involve me in their business. And there was a, a, comp a bikini competitor at the time, um, Courtney King, she was called, she was a pro, an IFBB pro is what they're known as in, in the, the professional space of bodybuilding when you take it to that sort of the Olympia level. And she was just my idol and I loved everything that she posted, everything that she stood for. And she also worked with this brand that I was an ambassador for. So for me, it was just the match made in heaven. I, I thought that, that I'd made it by doing that. And it was, um, yeah, it was really interesting because half the time I wasn't even using the products. It was just a matter of like using the product placement to post a picture on Instagram and talk about how great the products were. And here's a discount code, but actually, I, I, I didn't really care much for them, <laughs> which is really bad to say, but I'll, yeah, that's just being brutally honest. <laughs> we've, we've all done it, haven't we? Like we've all been there, whether it's been as a fashion, you know, company products, we all like a freebie. And as you say, it's yeah. nice. like, <laughs> we want to be complimented, don't we? Like we want to feel good and yeah, so I don't blame you at all. And I'm sure that everybody listening has experienced, you know, that in in their life in some form or shape. With regard to you know, brands, ambassadors, affiliates, during this time, you, so you were studying, you were doing your creative degree, and did you have an idea that you wanted to go into fashion brand consultancy? And did you pick up some of the like tips from you know, being a, a bodybuilder and working with these brands? Did that kind of help you in any way decide on your career? Yeah, so for me, I always wanted to combine my love for working out with the fashion space because, as, as I said previously, that I wanted to, to drop out of my degree to do nutrition at one point and it wasn't strong enough for me to actually do it because I, I decided against it. But I thought, well, maybe there's a way that I can combine these, these things together. So I actually specialised in sportswear in my degree so that I could focus on, you know, performance, apparel, more technical wear and, and the, the innovative fabrics and, and different cuts and, and things that came with that was, was really exciting to me. So I really liked being able to incorporate those, those two things together. And I never really thought that consultancy was, I didn't really know it was a thing, you know, being at uni for me, I'd, I never saw myself working with brands one-to-one. -one. I mean, I knew of coaches and I knew of fitness coaches, obviously, but I knew of coaches in different areas that would work with people in their business, but I'd never really made the connection that it was something that I could do. I didn't know if I had it in me to do something like that. And I always knew I wanted to work for myself. I knew that 
with an absolute guarantee that once I came out of my degree, that once I had the experience to do so, I would work for myself, whether it was to start my own brand or to have my own um, shop, maybe. That was always something that was, if you did a, a design degree or a fashion degree, that it was like, oh, you need bricks and mortar, you know, you need an actual shop or an actual boutique. So that was something that kind of excited me as well. But then coming out of uni, it it's it sort of shifted and evolved and I worked with different brands and, and had different experiences. And I then realized that there's so much opportunity and there's so much abundance in what you can do. And yeah, that's sort of where the, the consultancy snowballed from. It was definitely like an accidental role. It was not something I'd planned to, to go into. And what made you focus on the sustainability aspect? Sustainability is something that I always used to speak about when I was when I did my diploma, which was before uni. That was sort of my access course into into my degree. And I used to talk about sustainability all the time and how I wanted to use sort of zero waste approaches to design and, and recycled versions of, of certain fabrics. And it was always something that I wanted to, to discuss in like my sketchbooks and social, moral, cultural problems that were in the production space. And I remember a lot of people around me would say, oh, but sustainability doesn't sell and you're better off manufacturing on the cheap so that you can, you know, create stronger margins. And I just couldn't believe my ears when I used to hear things like that. And I would just be like, but I don't care. I, I don't really care about what, what margin I would see. I, I want to, I want to do the right thing. And so it was definitely something that started from very, very early on into the fashion space. And I was always look up to, and I know premium brands with bigger price labels and perceived value pricing doesn't necessarily mean that they're taking adequate steps to being sustainable. But I definitely looked more at higher end brands that I would take inspiration from rather than, you know, high street retailers and fast fashion. So it was something that evolved over time and as we as as a generation have become more eco aware and and obviously taking steps in my own life to make sure that i'm doing what i can to be more conscious it was something that just slowly evolved and and i realized how important it was in an industry that is the second most polluting in the world i realized that if i wanted to be in this space i needed to make sure i was i was doing it in a good way and in a conscious way i didn't want to be contributing to the sort of overconsumption and, and the destroying of the planet through through clothing. So where did that come from? Were you thinking about sustainability in other aspects of your life or was it just something that you had learnt about from fashion and kind of educated yourself? Definitely something that was self-taught. I always liked, I know there's not necessarily a direct correlation but there's definitely a connection between small businesses and local brands and small coffee shops and I always used to love going to those types of places and I feel like there was always that sort of interest in shopping locally shopping small and it sort of just evolved from from that I guess and definitely studying fashion made me realize the waste and the production costs as well I think a lot of people who haven't come from the fashion industry would not 
necessarily understand that you know if you can get a top from Boohoo for £10 they might not understand what the fabrics have cost what the labour costs are obviously the the transport from A to B they wouldn't necessarily know all of that but in studying it and being involved in it I realised the impact of the fashion industry and what fashion costs so I think yeah being so involved and immersed in, in it, it it sort of made me want to learn more and want to take more of an interest and, and use that as of part of what I offer and part of what I do now. So in terms of your role now then, if somebody listening is interested in fashion, in getting into starting a brand or a business or indeed scaling their current business or they might want some advice over sustainability and new practices that they can bring into their current brand, how can they work with you? How can they get in contact with you and find you? Yes, so the best place to get me is probably on Instagram. It's just at Charlotte J. Johnson. And if you head to my Instagram, all of my links are there in my bio to different platforms, whether that's my podcast or my website or to, to book a call to chat with me. So yeah, that's probably the best place to, to grab me. And definitely do go and check Charlotte out on social media on TikTok on her podcast and on Instagram because she provides really valuable very easy to understand high quality content and she's not going to um, greenwash you or give you any false information <laughs> or fear based um, advice over starting a brand she's very to the point, matter of fact, very honest and transparent, but also very encouraging and, and positive. So thank you ever so much for coming on today and sharing your story. I found it really interesting because I had no idea really too much about bodybuilding. Obviously, I've seen the pictures and, you know, you see it on social media, but to actually speak to somebody who's been through it was really interesting and, and an insight to... Um, some of the potential pitfalls and negatives of sport and exercise but hopefully also some of the positives that we can get from um, moving our body and doing that in a, an aligned way with our own values absolutely yeah thank you so much for, for giving me the space to talk about it i'm sure we'll speak very soon i'm sure we will <laughs> thanks charlotte bye thank you bye bye